Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Well, we're back to the Sermon on the Mount this morning and the Beatitudes, so do turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. And one by one, we are working through these Beatitudes, and once again reading this morning, and I want to go from verse 1. So seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And today we're going to consider verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Lord, thank you for this word again, unchanging, preserved over these many, many years. And knowing that all scripture is God-breathed and useful. But Lord, as we've been singing this morning, uh, our desire is for you, but confessing the inadequate way in which we express that desire, those longings. But we pray that we would grow in our love for you. And Lord, even as this verse challenges us, will challenge us this morning regarding our longings for you. And so may your spirit, again, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be at work. Thank you for him and his work in us and even among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to begin this morning and perhaps make a statement that I believe is true. Whereas my dog, i got a little dog, will be satisfied with a bone. There's a far greater longing in your hearts, in hearts of men and women, for more than a bone. Am I right? Of course. We humans made in the image of God, of course we have the desire for food and, and drink and, and shelter. <laughs> Our longings include everything we need to survive. But survival is not enough. It's not good enough, as it were, to have a bone. There is a deep longing in every one of us, each one of us here this morning, for something more. But sadly, sadly, and I want to quote a fairly uh, well-known paragraph from C.S. Lewis. Sadly, more often than not, we settle for second best. Or maybe so little, when there is so much more to be gained. Listen to C.S. Lewis. He says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And he makes an analogy. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't that so? We can add, want to add in the light of the book of Ecclesiastes that making mud pies, and it's an analogy, 
may seem like fun for a while, but it's not long when we find ourselves wanting something more, longing for something else. We just are not satisfied. Often discovering that contentment will be gained by acquiring something else, by doing something more, by achieving another level in our lives. But each time we find after every effort, contentment seems to evade us. I don't know about you, but I certainly find in my conversations with people, it's not uncommon to hear those words, I feel so empty. Life seems so meaningless. Well, it's not a surprise, or it should not be a surprise to hear that, especially in the light of the Scripture. And let me quote what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Speaking of God, he says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. And then he adds a comment about us people distinct from the animals. He has put in, he has put eternity into man's heart. Blaise Pascal interpreted to mean that uh, verse to mean that we all have a God-shaped vacuum. Every one of us, people. Jesus here in this beatitude provides the wisdom regarding ultimate contentment. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And Jesus here is confronting us in this beatitude regarding our desires, our longings, and their consequences. So my first point this morning is I want us to look at uh, the fact that Jesus identifies this ultimate longing. I probably shared this bit of wisdom that my mother shared with my sisters with you before. But be patient with me. Listen carefully. Especially young adults and young people. It's the story of two tears that met in a river. Have you heard me share this story? The one tear was from the girl who lost the man. The other tear was from the girl who got the man. Okay? So for those who don't get that, let me explain it. The first girl didn't get what she longed for. And ended up being the better for it. The other girl got what she longed for. And she lived the rest of her life to regret it. My point is that our natural longings cannot be trusted. Not always. Not every desire that you or I have can be acted upon to be good for you. To be good for me. It's what I think the Apostle Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, describing what I would call this morning def- default desires of the unbeliever. He says uh, in chapter 2 verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. There were inclinations, there are inclinations in unbelievers and even in us as believers in the remaining marks of flesh that lead us down a pathway which is in rebellion to God. And so we need to understand this morning as we come to this beatitude, if we are to pursue this ultimate longing that Jesus identifies, we need to understand there's a battle to be fought. 
It's not going to be easy. There are going to be tensions. There are going to be desires that we're going to have to fight against. These natural, godless appetites of the flesh. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, John writes there, he says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions, is not from the Father. It's from the world. And so can you see, there is, there is this pull, there is this attraction, this appeal, and our desires are wanting to go in a certain direction that will lead to wrath and judgment and destruction, but there are other desires, there are legitimate desires. And so pursuing the desires of the flesh is not the way to true blessing. It's easy. Now now we need to think about this longing that Jesus is identifying. It's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking that this righteousness that Jesus identifies is Him merely pointing to us in being better people. Behaving in a external uh, way that we think is pleasing to God. Now don't forget the context of this particular passage. Most of the crowds present would have been uh, poor, uneducated Galileans. They were the Pharisees, also from Jerusalem and other area. And as they hear Jesus preaching, as he speaks about righteousness, their first take on the understanding of righteousness would have been informed by the Pharisees that they would have seen standing amongst the crowd. The display of the righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were those who held themselves up as what we today would call the Holy Joes. I don't know if that's a term you're familiar with. You know, people who uh, pride themselves in being saints and they tick all the right boxes, they seem to do all the right things. Uh, The Pharisees were law-abiding, they were strict, they were rigid, they were legalistic, and and they followed the many man-made rules that they added, in fact, even to the law and the writings and the prophets. So Jesus Jesus sets the record straight. Later on, remember this is one sermon. This is a sermon on the mount. And he sets the record straight in the progression of the sermon so that there would be no confusion as to what he says in identifying this ultimate longing for righteousness. Chapter 5, verse 20, if you have your Bible open, he says to them, this is the same crowd, this is the same sermon, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus knows not only the Pharisees, but many religious people can portray an outward religiosity or piousness. They can tick all the boxes. We today can tick the boxes and and there are those expected things that uh, Christians are supposed to do uh, like coming to church or perhaps reading the Bible and and, uh, uh, doing uh, good things for other people. But, But the bottom line that Jesus is showing here that these Pharisees have an outward show but inwardly they are self serving, they are sinful and they are corrupt. They feel, they believe by their actions, they are gaining favor with God, that they're gaining righteousness. They're wrong. They're wrong. In fact, what Jesus is doing, if you read this entire sermon, it should leave you feeling a sense of hopelessness. 
Because the righteousness that Jesus describes in all that follows, right through to the very end of the sermon, he is lengthening the distance. He's opening the gap between him as a holy God and people who are sinful. And what he's doing, he's pushing them back to poverty of spirit. He's pushing them back to be mourning. So what's he doing? He's targeting the inadequate self-righteousness of the Pharisees. It simply won't do. But he's also targeting the sinful issues in the hearts of the people. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. We know that it was and is sin that robs men and women of blessedness, favor with God, producing this God-shaped Vacuum, the absence and the presence of the intimacy of God. And so the only way back to blessedness is to face the sin question by gaining righteousness. To close the gap between us and God. Now here's the answer. Jesus is presenting to the crowd that He is the true righteousness. It's not what you can do. It's not what I can do. He is to be the object of our longings. He's the only one who can fill the emptiness inside of us. He is the good news. Sometimes we, we separate Jesus from the gospel in our thinking. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. He's presenting himself as the means to satisfaction. Let me give you a couple of other passages in conversation with the woman at the well, I'm sure you remember that passage in John chapter 4 verse 13. Uh, Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. The material, that which they can see, the, the, he, he goes beyond that. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It is a gift from God. Again, another passage, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, man, the, the disciples and the people loved the fact that they were getting free lunch. And they focused on the free lunch. But Jesus says to them in John chapter 6, verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me because you saw signs. And, uh, uh, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you, you want to see what you can just exploit me for. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give you, for on Him the Father has set His seal. Now I want to get back to looking at this particular beatitude. At first glance, this focus on hungering and thirsting for righteousness can leave one feeling a sense of hopelessness. I don't know about you, but, but certainly for myself... Uh, the bar is too high. I, I, I can't do it. It's, it. Because I try and I try and I fail. And, and I think many of you, you try, you try, and, and you fail, you, you fall short. And, and we, we recognize who is good enough. Is, is anybody good enough? No, no one is good enough. We all fall short of the glory of God. But what Jesus is showing us here is there is definitely no need to feel hopeless. There is hope. The worst of us can look to Jesus as the one who is righteous. 
There is a way forward. Jesus and his righteousness, not out of reach. Now just a comment before I move on to my second point. So, the gift of righteousness... As we look to Jesus, and I'm going to speak to the, long, to, to the longing in a minute, but, but that which Jesus gives is objective. We describe it as justification, or we describe it as imputed righteousness or credited righteousness. He gives you his own righteousness, and he dies on the cross for your sin. However, it's not just imputed righteousness. It must be accompanied and is accompanied by imparted righteousness. There is in us a change that takes place that leads us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. In other words, when Jesus is the object of your longing, it will also stir a longing in practical godliness. Which leads me to my second point, and I want to speak about Jesus now describing the longing. So, looking around, I'm not sure if we are rugby supporters here, or soccer supporters, or whatever supporters. But I know that many of us, maybe it's just sitting on your veranda, sitting on your stoop, and saying to yourself, I really feel like a pizza bolton. Or I really feel like a Cadbury's chocolate. Uh, in Afrikaans, if I may be allowed to use, ekadalis. You know, you know the meaning of that word. You know, just it would be lekker. It would be lekker to have a piece of bultong or Cadbury's chocolate. That's a desire, but that's not the desire Jesus is speaking about here. The desire that Jesus speaks about here is stronger. It's very strong. He uses two words that we're very, very familiar with, and I'm going to try and explain: hunger and thirst. The object is righteousness. Jesus is the righteous one. But the desire which characterizes the Christian is likened to these two physical appetites, hungering for food that satisfies and thirsting for water that quenches. Now, I want to ask the question, what kind of appetites are they? Well, to begin with, they are sense appetites. Now, we're many people in this facility yet today, and I don't see any one of you being conscious of the fact that you're breathing. But you're breathing. It's, it's involuntary. You, you, you just breathe. It, it's spontaneous. Uh, you, you, you carry on living, and, and day by day when you're sleeping, you, you're breathing, and, and, and otherwise you're dead. Hunger is not like that. Hunger and thirst are conscious desires. Having an appetite for food, having a thirst for water is a conscious sensation. It's something you feel. Your body craves for food when you're hungry and longs for water when you're thirsty. You know you're hungry and you know when you're thirsty. Number two, it is not only a sense appetite, it's an uncomfortable appetite. I can't remember anybody ever saying, I love to be thirsty, or I love to be hungry. No, have you ever heard that? Of course not. I try to describe uh, hunger. We don't like, for me, it's a burning, hollow, empty, my stomach likes to grumble. And if somebody's sitting close to me, they'll say to me, you're hungry. It rumbles and it grumbles. And, and, and there's that sense of weakness 
in the absence of food. We don't like to have a dry mouth or parched lips in the absence of water. So my point is that it is an unpleasant thing to be desperately hungry and thirsty. It's not easily ignored. What do we do? At night or even during the day, we, we go to the cupboard and we look for something. I find like find something from the fridge to satisfy the hunger, to satisfy the thirst. It, it cannot easily be ignored. It is also a useful appetite. How would we survive without being reminded of our hunger and thirst, the need to be nourished, the need to be hydrated? You need food and water to live. It sustains you, it grows you, it satisfies your hunger and your thirst. And then I do need to add, it is a recurring uh, appetite. Uh, Today's meal, today's glass of water is not going to meet your need for nourishment and hydration next week. Very interestingly, in the language over here, both words are in the present active, uh, or the present active participles, meaning incomplete action. It's hungering and thirsting, it's hungering and thirsting, because you're satisfied, and you, you hunger and thirst, and you're satisfied, and you hunger and thirst, and you're satisfied. Now, translating the physical experience of hunger and thirst helps us understand the hungering and thirsting for righteousness to meet our spiritual need. You see, being in trouble with God because of my sin, it, it helps me to see that, that I'm, I'm tumbling toward destruction as a consequence of the sin, and it gives me a conscious appetite, a conscious sense that I need to solve the problem. A solution is needed. The longing is a conscious realization. It's uncomfortable to know that I'm out of step or, 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 uh, under the wrath of God. It, 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 it's useful in directing you to find the solution, to find this, uh, God void filled to believing Jesus. And let me say at this point that the eating and the drinking is synonymous to believing. We, it's not a physical eating of the flesh that we're speaking about here. It's a believing. Do you believe? Those who believe are not condemned. Those, those, uh, those who do not believe are condemned already. And so which leads me to my third point, which is Jesus promises satisfaction. There's no shortcut. There's no other route. Um, even with Israel, we, we are told that uh, they tried other means. And as an example, in Jeremiah chapter 2, as a nation changed its gods, even though there are no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. Now listen to this. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And hewed out cisterns, pots if you like, for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Only God can fill this God-shaped vacuum. God is exceedingly generous to those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for Jesus. Listen to this Old Testament invitation, Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. 
At the feeding of the 5,000, we hear Jesus again, John chapter 6, for the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven, feeding on Him, believing in Him, receiving from Him. Jesus again, the, the thief came to, uh, comes to only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus provides a banquet. And then I thought about it when I was reading my notes this morning and again, and I added the word, Jesus is the banquet. A spiritual feast is available for spiritually impoverished men and women who understand their need in their poverty of spirit as mourning people feeding on Him, drinking from Him, believing who He is, believing what He's done, receiving from Him the secured blessing of the favor of God. Continue the analogy. The table is set. And not only is the table set and never running out of any provision, promises to satisfy. This is a promise from God. It promises to satisfy those who are hungry and thirsty. And I thought, well, what would be on the platters? Well, the platters are filled with meaning in life and in death, peace with God, adoption, inclusion into God's family, forgiveness of sin, assurance of future with prospects of blessing with God, and inheritance in eternity, safety, no condemnation, the presence of the Holy Spirit, purpose. This is what He gives. He promises that you will be satisfied. Finding hunger and thirst, initially satisfied at conversion, yes, but continually, day by day, week by week, as He nourishes and nurtures and refreshes your soul. Ultimately, in eternity. Well, a couple of words I've called my conclusion implications. Number one, avoid cheap substitutes. McDonald's won't sustain you physically. Cadbury chocolates before your meal will dull your appetite for what you really need. And there are two areas spiritually in application that I thought of. It is, a dan- it is dangerous on the one hand to be consumed by emotional experience in and of itself and not landing with a focus on Jesus. It may make you feel good until you get home or make you feel satisfied until Monday morning you have to go to work. It must lead to Jesus. Also, it's dangerous to be consumed by theological frameworks that stop short of Jesus. Sometimes wonder if we are not in those circles as the more conservative people of the book. I often remember this verse in John chapter 5 verse 38 where Jesus says, You do not have the word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You see, it's got to end with Jesus. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. 
So whether it be emotional expression, it must lead to Jesus. Whether it be theological truth, it must lead to Jesus. Beware of feeding on that which spoils the main meal. Second one. Implication. Welcome anything that will increase your hunger for Jesus. Imagine a young man. I've always been a bit of a scrawny guy, so maybe this could apply to me. Imagine a young man looking at himself in a full-length mirror. And he sees a scrawny, pale, weak reflection. What should it do? It should stir that young man, maybe young woman, to hunger for protein, for carbohydrates, for for vitamins. That, That young man must remember, I am hungry and I need to be eating cabbage, my mother's cabbage. I need to be eating carrots and potatoes and and meat. And I can probably buy a protein shake at Clicks or Disco. My point is this. God has provided for the nourishment of our souls the Word of God. It is the mirror that helps us see the condition of our souls. And so we need to welcome any opportunity, whether it be corporate disciplines as we gather together, or whether it be in our private devotions and private disciplines with God. Put yourself in the way of being filled and satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I was looking uh, in another commentary just last night again, and... uh, He made a statement that I thought I would end with. You become what you eat. Isn't that true? The illustration this commentator used, the younger generation maybe don't know Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley was a very gifted and talented musician, earning at that particular season of his life, literally millions of dollars every year. He had every conceivable material acquisition that anybody could wish for. One thing that really struck me about Elvis, that he even had one of his cars spray-painted with crushed shells and diamonds. I was a teenager when Elvis Presley died. If any of you remember what he looked like. Wasted life. You see, he became what he ate. And so we need to consider that. What are you eating? What are you hungering and thirst for? Because that will take you ultimately to be that which you eat. And so Lord, thank you for this wisdom. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. I do pray for us here today, Lord, stir deep within our hearts. Thank you again for your spirit sent to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Oh, Lord, may your spirit be poured out among us, even this morning we ask, and lead us to that place of repeated contentment and satisfaction, finding the reality of meaning and significance and purpose, not only in this life, but forevermore. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.